Don Van Atta, you sat down with the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred, nearly 10 times so far this year, which is a conspicuously significant amount of access for a story about any major sports commissioner. And you clearly did not shy away from actual tough questions, but one of them felt especially pointed. What did you ask him? I asked him, do you hate baseball? We saw repeatedly during the lockout that says Rob Manfred hates baseball. Seems almost preposterous to ask this. Do you hate baseball? Uh, It it is the most ridiculous thing um, among some fairly ridiculous things that get said about me. That one does rub me the wrong way, I have to tell you the truth. It does rub Manfred the wrong way, and it's because there is a large group of people absolutely convinced he hates baseball, he's bored by baseball, and he's killing baseball. It's not just fans, it's many players that I spoke with. Some agents, former executives are all convinced Rob Manfred does not have baseball's best interests at heart. He obviously found the concept of him hating baseball the most ridiculous thing, as he himself just put it. But the fact that the active commissioner of Major League Baseball is in this sort of public relations crisis of sorts, how did we get here? You know, in America, hating sports commissioners has become a sport all its own. Yes. And there's probably no one among all the commissioners who get ripped and mocked, blamed, cursed, and memed more than Rob Manford, who's now in his eighth year at the helm of Major League Baseball. And really, I think a big reason why he agreed to do this kind of in-depth profile is because he feels deeply misunderstood by fans and some players. There have been times when he has been a gaff machine. And I think he saw this as an opportunity to set the record straight, not only to describe his love for the game, but to try to prove it in his vision for how great he believes the game can still be. If you're not thick-skinned, you're not suited for this job. It's actually in a weird way, it's a good thing. I think that people can be hypercritical, if not downright mean, but I see that as a reflection of how deeply they care about the game, which is a positive for the game. And it's, it, it's not me that matters at the end of the day, it's the game that matters. For more than a century now, the commissioner of baseball has been one of the most powerful posts in American life. The first commissioner ever, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, was a former federal judge. And since then, the job has been held by a senator, a military general, a university president, and now Rob Manfred. A lawyer and seemingly mild-mannered bureaucrat who has become one of the most hated people in American sports. So today, Don Van Natta takes us inside the world of Rob Manfred, the 10th commissioner of baseball, a man who wants to explain himself in depth for the first time and tell us what his job really is. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Wednesday, June 29th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion, drive, and patience. 
The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Don, I hope people appreciate how difficult an interview any commissioner is to get, really, in the format that you specifically do your work. So how do you get Rob Manfred to agree to sit down with you, somebody who is known for specifically investigative journalism? So last August, he agreed to meet with me in Iowa at the Field of Dreams game. I pitched him an in-depth profile the foundation being a series of in-depth conversations with them. And in that first meeting, I told them I wanted to figure out what the Manfred doctrine is, a sort of set of beliefs he has when making tough decisions, but also his vision for the game. And I think he liked that idea. Well, he smiled at least when, he, when I said it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he has one of the toughest jobs in sports. He's unpopular with fans, but he's trying to revolutionize a game that is the most resistant to innovation. He was reluctant at first to uh, cooperate with this profile, but he agreed to do it, and he gave me an extraordinary amount of time. I met or spoke with him nearly 10 times over the course of about eight months, including interviews at the Hall of Fame, City Field. Mm. We had several meetings at Major League Baseball headquarters in Midtown Manhattan, and he opened up to me in a way that I don't think he's ever done before with any journalist. Yeah, I mean, what was your personal impression of him as, as a guy? And how does that compare to, again, the public perception, the reputation that has been pretty well established from afar by now? I think behind closed doors, he's a lot more likable and very, very different from his public persona. I really saw the difference at first in Iowa. The Manfred I met behind closed doors was down to earth. He was self-deprecating, relaxed. And, you know, in his many conversations with me, he's quick to blame himself for gaffes that cause him so much trouble and even in a sort of charming way. But he's also a lawyer who feels deeply misunderstood. And despite saying he's thick-skinned, he certainly showed flashes of being hypersensitive to criticism, particularly criticism he believes is unfair from players and media members. Well, one of the questions that you ask him, one of these direct questions, these big questions that you ask him is, what is the biggest mistake you have made as commissioner? What's the one decision you'd like to have back? I have to narrow it down to one. <laughs> um, you know, I think people who can't admit they've made mistakes, particularly in a job like this, are a little dangerous. And yeah, there is some of that self-deprecation right there, Don, to your point. But the question I have still is whether Rob Manfred is truly a commissioner who can admit his mistakes in a genuine way, or if he is, to use his own phrase, a little dangerous. I think that's a great question, Pablo. Sometimes he offered lengthy rationalizations for some of his decisions. For example, 
Manfred got crushed last March when he stepped to the podium outside a ballpark in Jupiter and canceled opening day and then smiled at the camera. I had hoped against hope that I would not have to have this particular press conference in which I am going to cancel some regular season games. He got killed for it. But he didn't apologize for it. He explained it and had this explanation that it was a friendly gesture toward a reporter who had approached him to place a recording device on the podium. I walked out. Um, It was a very windy day. There was a podium, and there were microphones and recorders that literally covered the entire top of the podium. I had papers. I had nowhere to put them down. And just as I got to the podium, this young man who was trying to do his job was coming up and he wanted to add one more microphone that was pretty large. What literally went through my head is don't make a face like you're annoyed at this poor guy who's trying to do his job. And I'll admit I was annoyed. Instead of making that face, I smiled at him to try to put him at ease and that was the smile that was caught on camera. On the other hand, after the Astros cheating scandal, Manfred gave players full immunity and refused to take away the team's World Series title. He got crushed from the players for not taking away the title. And in an interview after the decision with ESPN, he referred to the World Series trophy as a piece of metal. The idea of, you know, an asterisk or asking for a piece of metal back um, seems, you know, sort of a futile act. And for that, he really regrets his choice of words and views it as one of his biggest mistakes. I do regret it. Um, You know, I regret it because it's disrespectful to the game. And, and, you know, I love the game. I I would never want to do it. I I regret it um, for that reason. I also regret it because I was being defensive about something I've decided. I think as I've matured um, in the job um, that I've come to realize that you have to make your decisions articulate why you did what you did, which I'd already done with the Astros. And then after that, trying to defend it is the wrong approach. You just got to let people make their minds up as to whether they think you got it right or got it wrong. Sometimes he's stubborn and defensive about this criticism that he gets. And other times he realizes a gaffe is just a gaffe, and he's pretty savvy in how he accepts the blame for those. Well, in trying to understand like how he discerns which line is a line that he should apologize for crossing and which line is one that he can, again, sort of minimize in retrospect, he talked to all these people who know him. I want to start at the very beginning, though. What was his childhood like growing up? Well, Manfred was born in Rome, New York. It's a middle-class town in upstate New York, about a one-hour drive from Cooperstown. Rob is the first commissioner to play Little League baseball. I only played through Little League. I never played after I was 12 years old. He was all glove and no bat. I was terrible, um, loved it, um, and became a fan for life. Baseball was really the main bond between him and his sports-mad, hyper-competitive father. His dad, Rob Sr., was the head of production at a copper rolling mill in town. And it was their love of the New York Yankees that was their common language. My dad was a huge Yankee fan. New York Yankee baseball was what we did on summer nights. 
the one that had the most lasting impression on me was a visit to Yankee Stadium in 1968. It was the first game I ever saw live. I remember to this day how I felt walking into that stadium. He said he loved the game before then, but it was a lifelong love affair that was solidified that day, visiting Yankee Stadium with his father on Old Timers Day in 1968. How does Rob Manfred get into the actual business of the game, Don? It was kind of by accident. Manfred graduated from Harvard Law School, and his first job was with Morgan Lewis, this powerful white shoe law firm. The firm had been hired by baseball's owners to be its outside counsel in the 80s, and a partner at the firm, a lawyer named Chuck O'Connor, invited Manfred, who was in his 20s at the time, to work with him on baseball labor issues. And Manfred learned a lot from O'Connor, who was a mentor of his through the 1990s, and Manfred, in that job, caught the eye and greatly impressed Milwaukee Brewers owner Bud Selig. Bud Selig, who, of course, would go from owning the Brewers to being the commissioner of baseball himself in 1998, and also an essential figure in Rob Manfred's life, it sounds like. Oh, they were very close. Bud Selig hired Manfred in 1998 full-time into Major League Baseball, and Selig completely trusted Manfred. He really became Selig's consigliere in many ways. Selig trusted him so much that he put... Manfred in charge of the steroids investigations. For years, Selig had stubbornly insisted baseball didn't have a steroids problem, or it wasn't nearly as bad as everybody thought. After the scandal broke, you know, the first impression that a lot of fans had of Manfred was watching him testify before the Congressional Committee investigating the steroids crisis At the outset, I should say that baseball has worked hard to negotiate and improve its drug policy in recent years. We know that we have made significant progress in this area. At the same time, we know that the policy is not perfect. And Selig put Manfred in charge of the biogenesis inquiry. Major League Baseball expecting to suspend some of its top stars as early as today because of their connection with a lab that specialized in performance-enhancing drugs. That was the Miami Clinic led by Anthony Bosch Mm. that led to the record-setting steroids investigations of Alex Rodriguez and nearly two dozen other players. It was this down-in-the-mud investigation that took a lot of criticism, and Manfred took a lot of that criticism himself. And Selig, of course, appreciated that Manfred was sort of the lightning rod for a lot of that in his last couple of years as commissioner. Manfred told me that Selig definitely over time gave him projects that he thought that Manfred was the right person to handle. It also broadened Manfred's portfolio in a way that made him a lot more viable as a candidate to be commissioner. Selig puts it a lot more bluntly. He just said, I did yell at Rob all the time. Back in 2014, when owners were looking to hire Selig's successor as commissioner, Selig's endorsement of Manfred helped him get the job, despite there being reservations among some owners. There were 10 owners, led by White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf, who had opposed Manfred. 
Some of those owners believe that Manfred was too lawyerly and lacked the right temperament to be commissioner. A veteran owner told me Selig was a guy who loved to eat hot dogs at the ballpark, loved the game, just exuded this folksy charm. Manfred didn't have that, still doesn't. Don, it reminds me of like the presidential candidacy sort of like smell test, right? Like, do you want to have a beer with this guy? That was what bothered some of the owners, but Selig you know, buttonholed a lot of those owners and persuaded them that Manfred was that guy. And as we're seeing eight years later, that's still a case Manfred's trying to make. And so when Rob Manfred is now in his tenure as commissioner, Don, and another wave of cheating scandals lands on his desk, again, threatening the game in in big ways. I'm curious how Manfred talked to you about the Houston Astros and the garbage cans and the banging and the video spying to steal signs. The players were given immunity there, very controversially. How did he discuss all of this with you? Well, it was a key part of his record, right? That he initially told me way back in Iowa that he'd rather not revisit during my interviews with him. And, you know, who can blame him? Because it's really, more than anything, probably, his handling of the Astros, as well as the Yankees and Red Sox, who were using video footage and Apple Watches even earlier than that to steal signs. All the decisions he made about all of that, I think, has shaped the way fans have viewed him negatively more than anything else. And it's another area where he refuses to admit any mistakes. He offered all sorts of kind of defense table arguments about why the scandal wasn't easy for him to manage as commissioner. When a new problem arises, the use of electronics and and sign stealing, and you have rules that are not um, up to snuff in terms of dealing with this new problem, you have to manage that change. You have to alter the rules. The rules weren't clear. Enforcement was extraordinarily difficult when when you think it all all the way through. You have to give people notice. You have to get people to buy into the idea that stricter penalties are going to be applied. And when you do that, you end up with a system that works. So as he is sort of painting this complex picture of what was sitting in front of him, what do his peers say in response to all of that? Well, the owners defended Manfred's management of the Astros scandal, though they acknowledged it badly hurt the game. A few told me that Manfred had become overly concerned with due process while the cheating flourished. A veteran owner said to me, could he have done more sooner? Of course. The thing about Manfred is, is that he's deliberate to a fault. A former Major League Baseball executive who worked very closely with him said he's too lawyer-like. Whenever he's confronted with a crisis that requires swift action, he seems to move slowly. Yeah, Don, I mean, it feels like, again, to speak to the constituency, the voters, so to speak, of the Major League Baseball world, it sounds like they just wanted Rob Manfred to say, like, they cheated very plainly. And instead, we enter, again, this sort of thicket of technocratic, lawyerly lingo. Yeah, and I think that that's a big reason why fans have come away with generally a negative impression of him. They want a more straight-talking commissioner who's outraged by this scandal that 
not only undermined the integrity of the game, it undermined the integrity of a World Series. And they feel that these answers Manfred has given over the years is far too, as you put it, technocratic for their taste. Coming up, how Rob Manfred hopes to change his reputation and the game he says he loves. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin. And the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. So, Don, we've used a bunch of labels now for Rob Manfred. Lawyerly, technocratic, all of this stuff that speaks to (laughs) the bureaucracy of things. And one of the main critiques of Manfred also is that he is the owner's guy, right? He is not our guy. He's not the player's guy. He's not the fan's guy. What did he say about that particular assertion? Well, you know, all commissioners work for the owners, right? That's been a criticism of Roger Goodell forever, a legitimate one. Yeah. But Manfred said something to me about this that I felt was really quite extraordinary. He admitted he's a human buffer who absorbs most of the heat for his billionaire bosses and that it's a critical part of his job. He said to me, every time it's me, it ain't one of those 30 guys. That's good. Mm. Look, who the hell am I? I don't have $2 billion invested in a team. I'm just a guy trying to do a job. I mean it. They deserve that layer. I believe they deserve that layer of protection on the face of the game for good or for bad. So this is Rob Manfred kind of saying, Don, what has always felt to me like the quiet part very loudly. Like, look, man, (laughs) I'm a meat shield and I'm actually good at it. I almost fell off my chair when he said it, Pablo. And, you know... It's almost honesty to a fault. Yes. And I think it, and I think again, it's Manfred attempting to explain his place in the world and saying, look, this is part of my job. Part of my job is to do this. I've got to take all the arrows for these guys. And in doing that, I am going to be somebody that maybe is not as popular with fans and players as I should be. Owners are absolutely thrilled with his job performance, and why wouldn't they be? The game has grown from an $8 billion sport back in 2015 when Manfred became commissioner to $10 billion now. And even more for owners, franchise valuations have quadrupled in that time. 
Billionaires want into the game. Manfred told me expansion's coming. He wants to get to 32 teams from 30. And Manfred makes $17.5 million a year. And with bonuses, Manfred has made more than $25 million. Mm. So he's very well paid to provide that layer of protection for the owners. Yeah, the economy of Major League Baseball, Don. I'm curious about that. Want to drill down on that a little bit more because you mentioned reasons to be optimistic about the billions of dollars that are flooding into the game. But I also understand that like the NFL, the NBA, we consider them to be far more attractive business entities overall, perhaps speaking to the regionalism of Major League Baseball and the trends associated with it. How concerned is Manfred about that notion? How concerned is he about the state of the union? Oh, he's extremely concerned. You know, here's another extraordinary thing, Pablo. The commissioner of baseball thinks baseball is too slow. In my last on-camera interview with him, it was in his office in May, I had a very revealing exchange with him. How many hours of baseball do you watch in a week? Oh, so let me count nights. <laughs> and, you know, he paused a moment and he said, I would say that I probably watch in the evening at least four nights a week, a game or games. So there's 12 hours and I always have it on in the office, the MLB network games during the day. So in excess of 20 hours. But very interesting in that question is he doesn't say he watches baseball Friday, Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> and when you watch baseball as a fan, what's your biggest aggravation? I think um, the same sort of sentiments that we hear from our fans in terms of pace of the game. Yeah, and on that, Don, I feel, I mean, I personally at least, like, yes, please speed this up. Like, pace of play feels like a problem to me. And Rob Manfred on that is envisioning what in terms of concrete changes? Well, a pitch clock, which is probably the most revolutionary change that can be introduced to baseball because, of course, it's a game with no clocks. And that seems almost certain to be coming to Major League Baseball next year. Manfred told me in no uncertain terms that he's in favor of it. A pitch clock is shaved off about 25 minutes from minor league games to an average of about two hours, 40 minutes this season. Is there an ideal average time of a game in your view? You know, I, I really don't have an ideal time. I, I think the interesting thing about what's happening with the pitch clock is the time's great. It's shorter. I think everybody agrees shorter's better. I think the pitch clock's a good thing. I think there's a lot of support for the pitch clock in the game. I think, fortunately, a lot of players have experience with playing under the pitch clock. And maybe the best thing about what's going on in the minor leagues is how quickly players have adjusted to that rule. The competition committee that's been created, the new CBA, its owners tilted. So more likely than not, we're going to see a pitch clock in baseball next season. It can shave as much as 30 minutes off of a game. Right now, the average Major League Baseball game is three hours and seven minutes. Mm. Manfred also said that robot umpires are likely coming to the game as early as 2024. They're experimenting with that now in the minor leagues. Yeah. And he's in favor of that. Can you foresee a time when the strike zone is called by technology and not umpires? I can. We have a, an automated strike zone system um, that works. It can be deployed in different ways that 
could improve the game. As a matter of fact, we're using it two different ways this year in the minor leagues. One way, the umpire has an earpiece. Every pitch is called by the system, and the umpire just makes the call that comes through the earpiece. Second system, less of a change, and you know we're always looking for incremental movement. Is a challenge type system where you know certain certain pitches could be managers um, have three challenges. Challenges, yeah, yeah. I, I, exactly. I think that there's an educational process that needs to, to go on here. I think that the we need to make sure that the players understand how refined this system is, you know, what, what's the plane where the ball or strike is getting called, where in relation to the plate, what is it doing about hitters of different sizes, how does it adjust? All that education needs to take place before I think we'll get buy-in from the players and be able to move forward. And, you know, he's got Theo Epstein, who is highly regarded around Major League Baseball as uh, a consultant to Manfred. He hired him just about a year and a half ago. And Epstein is really trying to help with introducing creative ways to improve the pace of play and to make the game, as Theo Epstein says and as Manfred says, the best form of baseball it can possibly be. So robot umps, a pitch clock, you know, all of this. The job of Theo Epstein to reimagine all of this, Don, I mean, it does speak, I think, also to this pretty obviously vast difference between how, like, the NFL approaches rules changes. They seem to have very little sacredness among their cows when it comes to the rule book. They change things all the time. Whereas baseball, they want to preserve the poetry, the history, the tradition, which seems like it can make things pretty difficult on a commissioner. That's Manfred's challenge. So to summarize the Manfred doctrine, Rob Manfred is trying to return the game to the 70s or even the 60s when he first went to Yankee Stadium. Mm. A crisper, faster pace of play, more doubles and triples and stolen bases. But by trying to return the game to its glorious past, he has to make these revolutionary rules changes that inevitably are going to offend a lot of veteran players and the sensibilities of baseball purists. The median age of baseball TV watchers is 57. Manfred is trying to make the game more appealing to young fans, and it's a really difficult balancing act. So Don, as Rob Manfred is trying to persuade America that its pastime needs to go back to the future in order to flourish. You need to get the new technology in order to return a former glory. How does he think about his own personal legacy here? Well, when I asked him how he wants to be remembered as a commissioner, Pablo Manfred told me simply, I want to make sure that we get back at least to where we were, if not even better. And he understands politically that he's going to have to sell the coming changes to the players, who, of course, many of whom don't like him. Manfred's goal is to visit every Major League Baseball clubhouse before the end of the season Mm. to lobby players that these changes are the best thing for the game. Manfred knows that this campaign is going to take a deft touch, a lot of diplomacy, if he has any chance of winning the buy-in of the players. But, you know, when I asked him about his legacy, he laughed and said that no matter what he ends up doing for the future of the game, fans will probably recall him as that crazy guy in New York who couldn't stop messing with baseball. He told me that's going to be on my tombstone. He tinkered with the game until they got rid of him. 
<laughs> that is a hell of an epitaph, Don Bandana. <laughs> For sure. Thank you, sir, as always. Thank you, Pablo. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.